What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Core Consults RX Podcast. And we have our long-lost, missing executive producer, AJ. What's going on, buddy? It's good to be home. You're back. You made it. AJ decided to take a 17-week cruise. He went all the way around the world. And he still has his cruise shirt on to th- at this moment. If you can look back, yeah, there he is. The listeners. Yep. So, uh, AJ, good to have you back, man. It's good to be back. Did you have fun? I didn't. You- <laughs> okay, well... Sounds about right for a seven. Yeah, I mean, week I was gonna say, yeah, I wouldn't. If it's a seven-minute cruise, I'm not having fun. So there you go. Lesson learned. This is good to know these things now. But uh, no, we're good to have you back. Last uh, last time we recorded, I literally had to sit in your chair and try to work the buttons. And yeah, it whatnot. looked like we put you in timeout over there. I know it felt weird. I yeah. felt like I was like kicked out of my the, the own pod, my own podcast studio. I was like, hey guys, <laughs> I want to sit at the cool kids table. <laughs> but it actually was kind of fun over there with all the buttons and stuff. But it just got a tough job. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate it. No yeah. problem. You're you are you're appreciated. I'm a confidence builder over here. Cole, how's everything going, man? Great. Apart from sick kids and things. You're, yeah, your son's been sick for a minute, right? It's like three weeks. Yeah, Ugh. I got really sick yesterday too. Did you? Yeah. Like I woke up at four in the morning. I was moaning so much that I had to go sleep in the other bedroom because I was keeping her awake. <laughs> Chills and nausea is terrible. Oh my god! Did you think you had COVID again? I tested. It was negative. I don't mm. know what it was. Remember that time that good you, now, remember that time you called me you're like, dude, I just tested positive for COVID, and we had just been. I was like, oh man, I'm good, never mind. And then later that night, I tested positive. Top gone it. Oh, I remember. I oh, remember. that was funny. Oh, it's one word for it. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. Um, I, yeah, and everybody else got go over the everyone else that I gave COVID to it that in my you know family and house and stuff that I've been around. Um, they all kicked it in like less than 24 hours, and for some reason it, it had me down for like a week. Was Mine like, was oh, pretty. This is rough. Mine was calm too. It's not not a fan, so I don't recommend it. Um, what is new monkey box? It sounds sounds rough, too. That's the new thing. Huh? As soon as I saw that, I was like, you, no, come on. We need at least one year of no pandemic <laughs> before we get a new one. No strange There's diseases no for a little str- while, please. This is preposterous. We can't do this again. But we'll see. Hopefully hopefully not. But uh, this is another accredited episode. So it's uh, ACP accredited. Um, for those of you who are members of freece.com um, and you have an unlimited membership, uh, you can listen to this episode, uh, try to take some uh, learning points away from this, and then go and follow the link in the show notes, um, do the post-activity uh, exam or test, pass that with flying colors, and then you will get your one hour of continuing ed credit. Um, and for those of you who are not free CE Unlimited members, I highly encourage you to check out their website and all the different modules and monographs and live sessions. And they even have uh, like they'll do like live panel groups discussions, uh, which Cole and I got to be a part of not too long ago. That was really fun. Uh, But they got a lot of really good learning opportunities on there. And uh, I definitely encourage you to take a look at that. Um, And there's a link in the show notes as well that will send you to a a discount um, code that you can utilize um, when you check out. So, um, and definitely appreciate uh, them continuing to partner with us because I think we got quite a few uh, episodes now banked up. Yeah. They're available for credit. We're going to keep them coming. Hopefully. So here's another. Here's another. And this is a topic that I don't know how we ended up coming up with this. Definitely not something that we are super familiar with, but we're going to tackle it the best we can. And I think it's pretty interesting, especially because I think there's a lot of, um, what, misconceptions around yeah. some of these terms good word for it. and things that uh, but, people think they might understand about it, but probably I, have it a little bit wrong. And I think it's also something that we tend to like, especially the, the you know, pharmacists and whatnot, I think tend to overlook this because there's not 
much like pharmacotherapy involvement right. in this. It's more so like, uh, like uh, well, let somebody else deal with that. Right. So um, having some background information, I feel like, is definitely good. I think so. And since we haven't said it yet, we're talking about <laughs> food allergies, and we're also going to touch on food intolerances and specifically talk about celiac disease, which yep. is um, not an allergy. It's an intolerance, and there is a difference between those. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest the biggest thing to clarify is that there are food allergies and food intolerances and the um, designation between the two is what's causing the issue, what's happening in the body. So food allergies involve the immune system. Um, they are primarily um, IgE, immunoglobulin E mediated food allergies. Um, in these cases, even tiny amounts of food can cause severe reactions. Um, they are unpredictable. They have the potential to progress to serious or life-threatening reactions called anaphylaxis. Um, and frequently, they um, have a pretty quick onset. The food intolerances, um, they kind of classify as non-IgE-mediated adverse food reactions. Um, so difficulty digesting or metabolizing a specific food. Um, and these are really much more common. So um, food intolerance disorders uh, are reported by about 15 to 20% of the general population, which is a pretty good amount of people. Um, the amount of food ingested is directly related to the severity of symptoms, and the food causes similar kind of predictable symptoms with each exposure. So let me ask you this, Mike. Please. Hibachi. Japanese Delicious. Food. Right. Love it. Right. Amazing. Uh, white sauce. Right. Always going to cause a predictable reaction for me. Oh, no. Usually unpleasant. <laughs> is that a food intolerance? It sounds... A lot like a food intolerance. Okay. I'm still worth it. I still eat hibachi. Of course you do. We wouldn't. You'd be crazy not to. I, how can you not? Even if anaphylaxis was the... <laughs> Even if my throat closed. I would have an EpiPen ready so you could still yes. enjoy white sauce. So am I allergic to white sauce? No. 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 Look at us. Is my is my stomach somewhat intolerant to white sauce? <laughs> I'd say it sounds very intolerant. I'd say yes. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say so. This is the first time we've ever done real-time learning with Cole and Mike. <laughs> this is good. I like this. <laughs> and see, I'm, I'm guessing when you get hibachi, are you a shrimp or steak guy? So I do uh, the I do the teriyaki chicken with shrimp. With shrimp. you got to okay. have the combo. But see, the problem is... two forms of protein, AJ. This goes back to what we were talking about before uh, we went live, but you, you're good upcharge for the shrimp. So I'm just a teriyaki chicken guy. Cole, we're going to work on that. I even get the white rice instead of fried because it's cheaper. Bring my own shrimp to the... the <laughs> That's an idea. They'll, they'll fry it for you. Cole, they'll, if I find out you're bringing your own I, shrimp... I don't believe you, AJ, but I could bring my own shrimp and put it you, on there. Yeah, I'll tell you what's going to really drive you crazy then, speaking of the upcharge then and the hibachi restaurants, because this is now what we're talking about this episode, um, is when I see a hibachi restaurant that also offers the... Hey, we'll throw on a premium lobster tail for the small price of whatever the heck the market value, which is preposterous. Is that a thing? Yeah, and I go... Lobster tail. <laughs> is it is it going to be cooked to perfection and delicious? <laughs> and they go, of course it is. And I go, oh yeah, put that on my plate as well. <laughs> I'll just I'll just work some more. Yeah, it's fine. They're like an extra eighty cents for shrimp. <laughs> Cole's like, it's, it's not worth it. It's a no go. It's not <laughs> worth it to be filled and set, filled. It's, it's filled and set. <laughs> it's not, not in the budget. Oh, Cole, it's uh, good. I wish I was more like that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't I, have to work I seven. I wouldn't have to work seventeen jobs anymore. I mean, and be exhausted constantly. <laughs> I would like to eat shrimp. Really? Yeah, well, Wait, on my, with my teriyaki chicken. The good news is you definitely can. You just have to <laughs> not think about it that long. Yeah, true. And sorry, we're going to work on that. We're all going to get hibachi after this. Sounds Man. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, um, kind of talking more through uh, some of the various intolerances. A big one that I'm sure all of 
all of us have at least heard of is lactase or lactose intolerance. Um, and that's where the, the ability to process and break down um, lactose, which, you know, is obviously a disaccharide um, sugar. And, and so the, lac, the lacto, lactase enzyme is, is missing. And so that lactose is not able to uh, get broken down properly. And you get, you know, the various GI effects, including like bloating and flatulence and abdominal cramping, diarrhea, all kinds of good, good, good stuff um, that can happen from any uh, dairy products that contain lactose. Um, we also have fructose malabsorption um, or fructose intolerance, um, which is you know typically going to present in a very uh, similar way as far as the GI effects of that. Um, but it's going to be after the ingestion of fruit or fruit-based sweeteners. So like high fructose corn syrup would obviously cause that. Um, there's also things like aldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency, uh, which is going to um, you know, cause like flushing and things like that after a patient consumes alcohol. Um, uh, and you know, the, that actually is more prevalent from a population standpoint in patients of Asian descent, uh, but can happen to anybody. Um, there's glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency, so G6PD deficiency. Uh, that one's probably a little bit more familiar with, um, you know, from people who are dealing with pharmacotherapy uh, issues and things like that. Um, but that can actually cause uh, hemolysis um, after ingestion of various things, including like fava beans or red wine, legumes, even blueberries, um, certain medications obviously as well. Um, there's things like uh, intolerance to short-chain fermentable carbohydrates, uh, which is one of the thought processes between um, – or. Uh, from a irritable bowel syndrome standpoint, uh, so you've heard us talk about in the past, like uh, FODMOPs, um, which is basically the uh, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and um, polyols. Uh, so if you want to check out our, our IBS episode, definitely take a look at that. We went over the new guidelines when they came out, um, but that's kind of like the dietary restrictions involved with IBS. Um, and then, you know, there's all kinds of other various intolerances we could talk about, but those are some common ones that I'm sure you've um, seen at some point or other. Yeah. Um, there's also, if you need like a FODMAPS like uh, list, cause there's a whole bunch of meds that fall into that category. So for any of you, those of you who uh, deal with IBS patients, um, there's a really good breakdown of foods that contain those various compounds on up to date. So if you have access to up to date, definitely encourage you to check that out. It's a good one. Yeah, definitely. And I did not know this, but, um, some migraine headaches may be considered a manifestation of a food intolerance if it's triggered by foods uh, in a particular patient which could definitely happen so cool. you work in a neurology clinic you have to I know, know this stuff well i knew that the i knew that the foods could trigger migraines but i didn't realize that you might call that a food intolerance i guess it makes sense mm -hmm. right it's I, true that it's only manifest as a, as a migraine always uh, learning i know i am um but some foods alcohol chocolate aged cheeses msg Mm. Um, aspartame, we were talking about that the other day. Yeah. Caffeine, nuts, things like that. So I'm afraid to ask about your thoughts on charcuterie. If you, if you, <laughs> on charcuterie? Yeah, since like you have the, aged cheeses. Just the, the little, actually, you do know. You, do you not spend a preposterous amount of money on uh, well, I'll tell you what, cured my, meats? My wife made a um, expansive charcuterie board this past Thanksgiving, and there were many really good things about it. You know what I realized I don't like? What? Cheese? S salami. Oh, yeah. I don't like a lot of cheeses either. I love Weird cheese. cheeses? Uh, really? I don't Head know. cheese. Head cheese. What is cheese? that? It's the cheese from inside the head. It looks like it looks like the one from the cartoons. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. I'm afraid to ask about goat cheese. You don't like that either, I bet. I don't know. Pretty much Fine. if it's not like one of the standard like buy it at Walmart cheeses, I probably <laughs> don't like it. But the salami, I don't know. There was there was like plastic around us, like the way it tasted. I know? feel like they cut it wrong. If there's no, it's just the it's just the film over. But it also I don't know. It's kind of spicy. Sausage type. 
meats. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. Mm. We're it was it was a great charcuterie board. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I don't really care for salami. I like it. You had to clarify that in case in case she hears this. Oh, she, she spent a lot of time on it. Um, sure. It was very. It was great. She's got good pictures of it and everything. I would be like, would I have to cut all this meat up myself? <laughs> Is this not available somewhere for purchase? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a I'm not a train knife uh, salami cutter. Anyways, are you? <laughs> Is that what you can that's do? A, that's that's a certification you can get. Um, all right, so. Um, going through some of this, um, we, so we talked about the uh, IgE mediated food allergies being a true um, food allergy, um, but the, the other thing that can kind of um, be sort of correlated with that would be patients that have a uh, mast cell disorder. Um, so they may have episodes of mast cell activation, um, even in the absence of uh, IgE mediated food allergies. So episodic symptoms um, could be flushing, pruritus, um, you know, diarrhea, abdominal cramping, uh, and that can be after like certain spicier aged foods as well as alcohol, uh, but that could be from a specific uh, issue stemming from the mast cells. Um, there's also things like uh, sulfite sensitivities. Um, to, sensitivity to ingesting sulfites um, could cause a, a, a more of a, a poor response or um, serious response in patients that have that sensitivity um, and, and tends to be more prevalent in patients that have severe asthma. Um, they can um, experience like a worsening or almost like a, a t- asthma attack uh, after eating dietary sulfates. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Cole. And yeah, before we, before we um, move on to, there are a few other non-immunologic adverse food reactions that are possible. Um, uh, gastroesophageal reflux is considered an adverse food reaction. Other things we're familiar with, like peptic ulcer disease, even gallbladder diseases um, can be involved with uh, food intolerances. Um, issues with seafood, which I'm glad I don't have a problem with because mm-hmm. uh, I love, even though I don't upchar- pay the upcharge for the shrimp. Um, and there's there's various other things, but those are kind of the main things. There also could be an accidental contamination. Uh, I think of kids a lot with this, but pesticides or... Uh, antibiotics if an allergy is present or something like that um the one seafood uh version it comes from like fresh tuna or mackerel um would be scombroid fish poisoning and the only reason that one always stands out to me is because i remember my dad um when i was much much younger my dad had gotten that and uh um, he, we, okay, I was definitely not healthy. I was a kid back then. And I had no idea. I'd never heard of it before, but that's what they ended up diagnosing him for. Scombroid, scombroid poisoning. fish poisoning. And then we asked him like, you know, I was like, Oh, cause he had you know, been at work and then left cause he gotten super, super sick. Yeah. And, uh, we're like, well, where did you, you know, get that? Was it like a fish market? And he's like, well, I think he was like Captain D's or one of those places. I was like, Oh, that, that was your mistake. Who <laughs> no one's ever eaten there and not gotten. Fish I tell you poisoning. what though, I pass it every day. I pass a Captain D's every day. They and have I think them still? Oh, yeah, sure, right on 17. And I think, could I just go through a drive-thru and get some fish? That sounds yummy. <laughs> but is it is it dangerous? <laughs> it sounds good. Those things should not be together. So you should not be going through a drive-thru. and getting Arby's. Yeah. What's wrong with Arby's? Jamocha shakes? Curly fries? You don't like Roast Ar- beef? Okay. I actually don't care for their sandwiches too much. But curly fries and Jamocha shakes? Yeah, those How are good. How can you argue with that? Those are good. But, it's but you're right. The anything roast beef, anything yeah. is better than freaking... Captain D's and like any kind of fast, yeah, yeah, Long John Silver's or any of those fast food fish places. But Popeyes, no, I never eat any of those places. I'm more of a Zaxby's guy. I do like chicken's totally fine. You do the big Zach snack, of course. There's no Zaxby's. Well, here's what I used to do: is the chicken finger plate hold the coleslaw, extra fries, but it's more expensive, so that's why I don't. Oh, coal, coal, no coal. Cole, no coal. That's weird. If anybody knows Cole's Cole, yes, boss, Cole's please get, ask for a raise on his behalf because we got to fix this. Apparently, he, something's wrong. Well, now you can't go and eat at any fast food restaurant for more than less than like eight bucks. It's like 
It used to be you could get like a $5 meal. Mm. They've, it's like two or three dollars more expensive. You know what's even faster is when Uber Eats brings it. <laughs> Sorry, and then that's, it's, then that's it's like sixteen. That's a, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, where where are we? Um, so I just want to touch on some stats with the food allergies. So um, kind of unclear what the um, data is around how many people have food allergies, and I mean you definitely seen uh you definitely heard um you know maybe people older than us talk about how you know nobody nobody when i was a kid had any food allergies and it seems like now all the kids have all the food allergies um so it's interesting there's probably some reasons for that previously it had been estimated to affect up to five percent of adults um, compared with eight percent of children Uh, there was kind of a cross-sectional survey um large amount of people about forty thousand adults in the u.s uh, not too long ago 2015 and 2016 um, the estimate of uh, convincing food allergies, because sometimes it, it can be um, a little unclear, uh, was significantly higher, about 10.8%, um, with a self-reported prevalence of two times that, uh, probably uh, going towards the food intolerance versus true IgE-mediated allergy type of situation. Uh, but they can develop at any age, uh, but they frequently first appear in childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also uh, a retrospective chart review that was done, um, a study that included a retrospective chart review, I should say, um, where they, they found that approximately 15% of patients with an initial food allergy diagnosis um, developed the problem as an adult. So it's not unheard of. Um, and in fact, I actually know someone personally who developed a pretty um, serious like food uh, allergy well into adulthood. And so uh, it is not unheard of. Um, so this definitely uh, can happen and it shouldn't be ruled out. Um, the, the same study also found that uh, that age at first reaction peaked during the early the 30s, although there was a wide range. Um, There's an initial onset as late as 86 years of age. Could you imagine making it through 86 years on this earth and then all of a sudden you have like a peanut allergy? I tell you what. I'd be or, like, or even worse, like, yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, I was going to say something. Yeah, I love peanuts. More appetizing than peanuts, but yeah. I, I couldn't, because the, the gluten it, is a little bit different. Be how, I'd, how I'd go out. It was a, sh- <laughs> yeah. that's, well. Spoonful of peanut spoonful butter. Spoonful of peanut butter. Well, and then and then it would be shrimp, and then the person's like, I would do anything to eat shrimp, and here's coal. I don't want to spend 80 cents on shrimp. <laughs> and just insulting everybody who can't eat shrimp. Unbelievable, Cole. I know, true. I, I, it's disrespectful. It is disrespectful. To say, to say the least. To people with shellfish allergies. Right. They would love to eat those. So what happens in these situations when a patient has a true IgE-mediated food allergy? Um, it's going to affect multiple um, uh, parts of the uh, body. There's many clinical features, dermatologic, um, eyes, respiratory tract. Dermatologic-wise, uh, there could be itching, flushing, urticaria, or angioedema. There might be um, sweating. In the eyes, they might have uh, increased lacrimation, um, puritis, that sort of thing. Respiratory tract is probably what you think of if something scary is happening, right? Um, so they might have um, upper airway sense of choking. They might have dyspnea, wheezing, or cough. But they can also have more mild things like sneezing, a runny nose, nasal congestion, um, uh, itching around their mouth, something like that. Cardiovascularly, um, increased heart rate. Uh, there could be decreased heart rate, bradycardia if it's severe, also arrhythmias, um, low blood pressure, cardiac arrest in severe situations. Um, and then probably the most common are going to be your GI um, adverse effects, or I should say the most common that are uh, reported because, um, as we'll see, um, sometimes there are kind of not the GI side effects, and there's kind of like extra GI side effects, and it, it gets kind of strange. Um, <laughs> but um, nausea, vomiting, abdominal cramping, bloating, and diarrhea. Um 
And then neurologic, you can have fainting, dizziness, seizures, and then um, the sense of impending doom, which tends to um, come up a lot uh, when you're talking about various like allergies and things like that. Um, me and uh, my buddy Alex were just talking about this uh, at clinic like two couple days ago because he was he had done some stuff with like um, uh, basically like um, inpatient like cath labs and things like that in cardiology when he was uh, first practicing, and uh, he said that he had he's talked to so many patients who before they had an MI had that that sense of impending doom you hear yeah. people talk about, and um, it, it's kind of crazy to to think that. There is like this, and like you know, know. Not, not a sixth sense, so to speak, but almost like oh, something bad might be. Happening. I'm interested to see uh, to to look into a little more what physiologically is happening there, because I mean, you know, all of us have had maybe some feeling of doom in our lives, and what preceded that, and what was going on, like I don't know, sympathomimetically that caused us mm-hmm. to have that feeling. And I wonder if there's a similar thing that goes on right before something big like that happens. Yeah, I'm sure there has to be studies. It's got to be. Got to be. If they're going to throw that in there as like an official like sign and symptom, there has to be studies. Like when you're on a roller coaster and you're going up and yes. you get to the top and you're like, hmm. I unbuckled yes. my seatbelt because I mm. want it to be more thrilling. <laughs> What's wrong with you? No, but that's a great example. So I wonder if that's how it feels right before you have a heart attack. It, 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 I mean, I, hope I, I never know. I love roller coasters yeah. though. So I feel like if that's it. Speaking of things <laughs> being acquired in your like adulthood, mm-hmm. used to love roller coasters since maybe I was 25. And t- like very nauseous after really? a roller coaster. It's crazy. It drives me nuts. I even tr- I've tried to like premedicate. I haven't done sc- scopolamine, but some meclizine or whatever mm-hmm. helps a little bit. Um, but I get really nauseous. Hmm. You have to desensitize yourself. I know. That means you're gonna get on like Universal Studios or something like that. I get was. Un- I went to Universal. I rode the Harry Potter. Get on the Hulk. The, I'm sure. Get on the Hulk, the big one that comes flying out and you corkscrew and stuff. My favorite one. If you do it 30 times in a row, right? You get the fast pass, which I know you're not going to like. <laughs> there's <laughs> an upcharge for there's that, right? An up, oh, there's a big upcharge <laughs> for that one. And then uh, you have to run it over and over and over again. And eventually the dizziness will go away. <laughs> that's that's when a, you pass out on your third. Yeah, that's row. a prescription, Cole. Uh, there you go. Um, so the other thing is, um, like Cole said earlier, you know, these, these reactions that you can have to a, a true IgE mediated, um, allergy, um, can, can vary pretty drastically. And the, the big concern obviously is anaphylaxis, um, which can be life threatening. Um, but it's also important to kind of like differentiate what is like true anaphylaxis uh and there is actual like diagnostic criteria and the reason i say it's important is because when you're even if you're not the one who directly and was involved with the patient who had experienced a food allergy or what have you um the you'll have patients sometimes report that they had anaphylaxis and then you ask them more questions i had this happen to me not too long ago patient told me they had anaphylaxis and they needed to get an EpiPen. um and then you ask them more questions about like, well, what happened when you had this anaphylaxis and it was like oh yeah it felt horrible and i just you know went home rested went away i said i uh i feel like maybe there was more to it than that um but it's like i don't know if we should just give you epi- epinephrine to be sticking yourself whenever you're not feeling good um, but it is important to have like a true diagnosis if you're uh, have a patient coming in and so um, they need to have uh, number one like an acute onset of the illness minutes or several within several hours at the very most um, uh, usually involving the skin mucosal tissue or both um, so you'll have like generalized hives, paritis flushing um, and then swollen 
lips, you know, angioedema type uh, presentation would be the most severe. Um, but you also have to have at least one of the following where you have some sort of a, a respiratory compromise, um, whether it's dyspnea or wheeze, bronchospasm, um, hypoxemia, something like that, and then a reduced blood pressure um, or associated symptoms of some sort of like end organ dysfunction, um, hypotonia, collapse, syncope, incontinence, something like that. Um, and then also uh, two or more of the following that can occur rapidly after exposure to a likely allergen um, for that patient. So again, minutes to several hours, somewhere in that range. Um, but two of, two or more of the following, um, the first one being involvement of the skin and mucosal tissue, like we mentioned, respiratory compromise, reduction in blood pressure, and then persistent gastrointestinal symptoms. So if you take those four things standalone and you do two or more, then that's it's indicative of uh, anaphylaxis. And then that reduced blood pressure after exposure of a known allergen um, for that patient. Um, you know, infants and children, low blood pressure, uh, which is an age-specific range, um, or greater than 30% decrease in systolic blood pressure from their baseline. And then from adults, it's a, basically a systolic of less than 90 um, or greater than 30% decrease from that person's baseline would be indicative of a, an anaphylactic reaction. So um, monitoring their blood pressure is uh, definitely going to be a, a part of that when they when they come into contact with something uh, that they know that they've had history of issues with. Yeah, and it is um, it's more significant here than with a food intolerance because with a food intolerance, not really a risk for severe reactions like this. The intolerance is going to be pretty much directly related to how much you're ingesting. But in, with a true allergy, and if it's severe, even tiny amounts of the food can cause a severe allergy, right? Um, so there are some factors that can help predict whether it might be more severe or that somebody's at higher risk for it being severe. Uh, so concomitant asthma. So patients with asthma are at higher risk for uh, food-induced anaphylaxis. Um, agents that might increase intestinal permeability, like uh, alcohol or aspirin, if they have some of that in their system, that can put them at an increased risk. Uh, there are certain medications. Um, so ACE inhibitors uh, we think of for possible angioedema. Um, but um, in this instance, it's more about the body's compensatory responses to hypotension, um, and they can also interfere with the actions of epinephrine. Uh, beta blockers can do that as well. Exercise, exertion, stress, um, concomitant illness like viral infections, and also lack of sleep. Those can all put uh, patients at increased risk for severe reactions. Wait, lack of sleep? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's a risk? Mike. Uh-oh. I'm glad Mike doesn't have any severe allergies. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm going to definitely avoid that one if possible. Um, all right, so I guess you want to start going through some of these uh, situations that are specific towards a food allergy. So sure. like oral allergy syndrome. Yeah. Um, so oral allergy syndrome, or OAS, I often refer to it as pollen food allergy syndrome. Um, is It's the most common form of a true food allergy in adults, um, specifically, and it affects up to 5% of the general population, uh, according to some of the population studies that are out there. Um, it's generally considered like a mild form of a food allergy um, that it's basically caused by contact of the mouth or throat with raw fruits and vegetables and sometimes nuts, depending on what the person's allergic to. Um, and the most frequent symptom of OAS uh, can be like itchiness or some mild swelling of the mouth, face, lips, tongue. Um, and that's generally developed within minutes after eating whatever it was that um, whatever food caused it. Um, cooked fruits, so which I don't know who cooks fruits um, necessarily, but cooked fruits or vegetables um, typically do not elicit the symptoms. Um, and this is definitely an important question when you're trying to do 
your differential diagnosis and taking a clinical history. Um, tree nuts, peanuts, um, whether they be raw or cooked, can also cause isolated oral symptoms, um, although these foods can also um, kind of cause more serious systemic anaphylactic reactions as well. Um, and then it is definitely uh, an appropriate um, situation to refer any sort of a nut um, reaction you know, to an allergy specialist. So don't just um, consider that to be something mild and um, treat that in-house if it's you know you're not a specialist. Yeah, part of me almost um, looks at this and it's like, hmm, this sounds like it was made up by a seven-year-old. <laughs> Mom, I'm allergic to my fruits and vegetables. Right. I can't eat my fruits and vegetables. And very, very, very serious, actually, oral allergy syndrome. Um, I suffer. I've suffered for the last 23 years. Apples, uncooked apples, very itchy. It's very bad. Much like the um, seven dwarfs. Very uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't, I can still breathe. I can still function. Snow operate. white? <laughs> You're talking about the poison apple? Yeah. <laughs> Cole, looked at, Cole like, looked at me like I was saying something offensive. What I, was like, what you, I was like, Snow white and you got to offer an apple. Am I crazy? Uh, yeah, but applesauce, I love applesauce. I can eat applesauce all day. So is applesauce cooked or why, why would that not cause a problem? I mean, it's not cooked, obviously. So like, I'm not trained in differential diagnosis. Okay. I feel, I feel, I can tell you, I can I also have apple no clue applesauce is made. See, I just realized that in this podcast right now. I, I had this too. And, um, it was really all fruits and all vegetables, and it went away when I turned 18. I, I don't know who's being serious right now. AJ, can you really not eat apples? I really can't. I can't bite into an apple, or I'll just feel really bad, really Prove itchy. <laughs> Why are you going to give me an on camera? You, you won't do it. Even if, even if there's some good caramel or caramel? Yeah, I tried. In the fair, no good. Powered through? I tried. What no, about, I do power through it. It what, just still hurts. What about the skins? Skin's bad. I can actually, if you peel the skin off, it's better. Still a little itchy. So do you have uh, aller- like regular allergies and conjunctivitis? I do suffer from suffer. other. Let's chill on that. Laugh for it. I uh, suffer. <laughs> he's at the fair eating caramel apples. This is so interesting. So so it's related to the pollen in the apple? Like that's what that, that that's what we're saying right here? Again, Again he's not trained in differential trained diagnosis, in Cole. Diagnosis. Okay. Well, this brings me to my next point. Or apparently pathophysiologist. This brings me to the next point, which is that... Um, Oral allergy syndrome is, like we've been talking about, is an IgE-mediated mm, uh, allergy. And it's considered a form of contact allergy that develops in patients sensitized to pollens. What? Yeah. Most patients also report seasonal allergies or conjunctivitis. That's he, you. That's you, dude. So here, listen. Common examples, uh, uh, there's birch allergic patients may develop itching of the lips or mouth upon eating fresh apple. First first example. It's the literal that. first example. AJ's Hair, textbook. Kind of a big deal. But but well, pear, cherry, can't eat apples. carrot, celery, or handling raw potato. I love raw potato and celery. You don't handle okay. them, do you? Cherries, cherries and carrots. Regularly, pears. You yes, do not. I, love I, pears. I feel like there's no way. So it's just apples for you. Just apples. But you must be a birch allergic. <laughs> Specifically, probably so birch only, allergic. Only half. Manus domestica. Because there's always the there's genus. also uh, ragweed allergic patients. Uh, they may react to melons and banana. Mugwort, mugwort allergic patients that may react to raw celery. Mm. Um, what do they have with their wings? Yeah. So it's caused by the presence of heat label proteins like profilins within the foods that are cross-reactive with allergic pollen proteins. There you go. See, if you had just been patient, AJ, you didn't have to be trained in differential diagnosis. We would have told we, you. We told just learned. You. <laughs> we just learned. We've all grown. Wow. We have a live. Ex- have we ever had a disease, a disease state where we had a live example in the studio? Um, not that we were actually open about the fact that it, was, <laughs> that it was happening in real time. There's been times where I'm like, huh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> like the, uh, what, what did we talk about recently? The explosive, explosive syndrome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We were all sitting there going, I hope we don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, AJ missed that. He was on a cruise. Oh, yeah. Goofing, around, goofing around. Oh, he listened. I listened in. Did you? I don't, yeah. I'm going to check the live feed. If you're not on there, AJ, I'm going to be very upset. All right. Um, now, we've been talking about kind of like the this, the way that this manifests. There is a small minority of patients that have this oral allergy syndrome um, that do report systemic symptoms. Um, and these patients definitely should be evaluated by an allergist um, for more serious forms of, of a food allergy, um, as well as obviously being supplied a, an epinephrine and auto injector. Um, and if there's any sort of like, uh, un, you know, unclear situation or, or, you know, not a definitive diagnosis, um, send to a specialist if possible, because yep. let them kind of look, dig a little deeper um you know you don't want to miss something and you know not see a bigger issue that could be at play right now if it's straightforward they don't necessarily need to be referred and if it's mild um, management is pretty clear Uh, avoid raw forms of the fruits and vegetables in question so don't eat apples aj (laughs) as he's eating apples cooked forms can be eaten as tolerated so have you ever had like a cooked or baked apple often i do (laughs) and it's fine very fine. That is amazing. I have apples regularly, too. Do you? So are you going to li- Oh, you have regular apples regularly. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. uncomfortable. That's good. Good patient. Very uncomfortable. So are you going to list this on your, like, um, you know, your uh, uh, previous medical history forms? like at Every a time. Wow. Oral Every allergy time. syndrome. Did you um, know that this is what it was called? called? I didn't. Not oh. for today. I'm, wow. I'm with the audience here today, learning, taking that's notes. Fa- that's amazing. Yeah. That's, I think this is groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I'm just still trying to get my head around why you, like, if you can't eat apples, or just get into fruit. Why are you cooking apples? Have you ever had a candied apple? I'm, a candied apple? No, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> the I, I, eat a, I eat adult foods. <laughs> Have you ever had pizza rolls? See, the fair, pri- the fair foods, what am I going to say? They're overpriced. They Coal. Are. They are. They are. $7 for an apple with a little bit of sugar I on it. I mean, come on. I'm gonna buy it. Still. The movies? Do you buy stuff at the at the? Um, every time. Every time. Maybe I mean, one or so twice in my life. Don't even think about it. Twelve dollars. I go. I go. Sport, I go sporting events. Sporting of, events. Do you buy food? Of course. The, the seven dollar hot dog. I won't. No, I won't eat every time. Ahead, Never. I won't eat ahead of time because I want to be so <laughs> so hungry for my ten dollar hot dog. I go because that ten dollar hot dog's never tasted so good. Cole, you gotta live a little, buddy. <laughs> Never, dude. Damn. I went to the aquarium. The Dippin' Dots were overpriced. I won't even pay it. Cole, <laughs> I tell you what, man. This guy is something else. Five dollar Dippin' Dots. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that's a steal. No, I, I can get, get, I can get a whole gallon look, of Blue Bell ice cream for that. It's, yeah, but you're not looking at penguins while you're eating it. Like, are you crazy? Convenience. Yeah, yeah, it's convenience. And then also too, it's the experience. They're taking advantage. No, dude, you're thinking about this all wrong. <laughs> Have you opportunity? Ever, I'm talking about emperor penguins, and you're getting these Dippin' Dots while you're looking at them. That's that's a beautiful moment. You're not getting experience, and you're getting you know. It's true. I'm really. I should not deprive I'm, my son of these things. Right. Oh my gosh, I feel bad for. But him. you got to. But you got to know that Thank I was. God, I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in this life. I'm gonna be like, dude, we gotta go. We're, growing up and going to football games, you were, you were still allowed to. You're still allowed to bring coolers in there. So I mean, you know, we would bring crackers and waters and like we never bought a thing. You know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah. Said, I don't know. I think I was just always like, hey, dad, can you know, I want this. And then he was like, no, they're expensive. And I was like, when I get older, <laughs> I'm buying every one of those. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. All right. So that's it for OAS, right? Yes. Okay. Seafood allergies um, is, uh, 
seafood allergy. So there's some like um, kind of discussion about how like seafood allergies can be related in some aspect of to like radio contrast allergies, um, which a true seafood allergy is not technically related to that. Um, but it's an in individual uh, with allergic disease. So like those with asthma or allergic rhinitis, atopic dermatitis, things like that, um, as a group are three times more likely than individuals without those conditions to have some sort of a severe adverse reaction to you know, like intravenous um, iodated contrast media. Um, although there's not like any special precautions or anything like that that you have to do prior. Um, but so because of that, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think it gets like, there's like a, a thought to be a cross reactivity sometimes because those things tend to be more correlated, but it's just because their risk is a lot higher if you have a true seafood allergy. Um, but uh, there's no additional like risk association um, or associated with seafood allergy specifically. Um, and it's more so about avoidance and, you know, staying away from the foods that uh, could cause that reaction. Yeah. Is that it for seafood allergies? Yeah. You want anything else? Okay. Um, so we have peanut and tree nut allergies as well, uh, which this is the one that people probably think about the most, especially in kids and being severe and maybe inconvenient because you can't have anything related to peanuts or nuts um, anywhere close, but it's important because they can be dangerous. Um, but they are commonly implicated, uh, although in most allergies, the nut allergy developed uh, is developed in childhood and then persisted into adulthood, um, which is different than seafood allergies. Um, but because they range, there's a big range uh, as far as um, uh, if it's mild or severe, and they can kind of be difficult to categorize as to how mild and severe they are, we suggest um, or generally suggested to refer to a nut, refer all nut allergic patients to a specialist for evaluation. Um, interestingly, we were instructed to give, start introducing peanut butter very early on to, uh, to our kid, I guess, to try to desensitize them. Mm -hmm. So we were just like giving a fingertip unit and FTU of peanut butter like, you know, a few times a week or whatever. There you go. Hopefully it works. Put it all over his cheeks. Yeah. You can have as much peanut butter as you want. Slather. No allergies here. Not that I know of. There we I go. I counsel my patients and I utilize the fingertip unit method. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything back when them. That comes from a reliable source. It does. Isn't it like, what is it, 0.5 grams? Is that an FTU? My fingertip? Probably 0.75. I tell you what, there's some. there's got to be some serious variability. 0.75. I feel like it's, point, very, point, it's very poor, a very poor unit of measure. Unit of measure. <laughs> yeah. That's like when you put your feet one foot in front of the other and you just count that's out. one foot. Yeah, that's one yes, foot. It's, right, it's one, one foot for everybody, whether yeah. you're 5, 8, or 6, 10. But that guy's, one foot. It's a, that foot's way smaller than my foot. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Terrible unit of measure. Cow's milk and dairy allergies. So that's uh, allergic reaction to cow's milk you know, proteins. This is different um, than a right. lactose deficiency that we talked about earlier, right? And it can be, uh, you know, complicated by a lactose intolerance. Right. Um, but uh, you know, there's been a large um, population-based phone survey data, which is, you know, mm, not the best <laughs> data to collect, especially over the phone. Can you imagine somebody calls you up? We'd like to get your opinion on <laughs> milk allergies. What happens when you drink milk? Yeah, yeah, couldn't hang up fast enough. Um, cow's milk allergy uh, may be as common in adults as peanut allergies, but just uh, much less associated with like severe reactions and less frequent like phys you know physician diagnosis associated with it. So it just tends not to be uh, talked about as much, but it can be potentially pretty common, at least based on that phone survey. Based on um, the phone survey, I would hang up. Cool, you're right. I wouldn't have even yeah. answered. What happens when you drink milk? Like, done. Who is this? No, they, they just, you just answer, they say, got milk, you hang up. Um, 
This one is yeah. this one is interesting, and I think uh, supports <laughs> the myth that you're not supposed to swim within like 30 minutes of eating food. You know, because the the old old thing people would say is that it would make you put you at a higher risk for cramping and then drown. And so your your mom would always say, don't don't swim within like 30 minutes to an hour of eating any food. So listen to this: food dependent, exercise induced anaphylaxis. So what this is is a form of food allergy where the patient only develops symptoms when ingest, ingestion of the food is followed within a few hours by exertion or exercise. The symptoms don't develop if the food is eaten at rest or if the patient exercises without first eating food. Um, so the connection between the food and exertion uh, is not always recognized for some time, but the reactions are unpredictable, uh, which further complicates like the recognition of it. Diagnosis is difficult. Um, because commercial skin test reagents and in vitro testing may not be as reliable. But uh, basically, for some people, if you eat some food and then exert yourself, you can have an anaphylactic reaction. Now that sounds made up. It is real. It is real. So it turns out all those people who said don't swim within 30 minutes to an hour of eating, it's possible. They could have had an allergic reaction. Based on one person. Yeah. Um, I I feel like from a very early age when I would hear that my mom would just go no you need to be a stronger swimmer. No, it's it, what's hilarious is you better I, not be cramping up to thirty. Yeah, I remember compl- it's one of those things. It's like I won't even say it. I'm not going to say Santa Claus, but it's like um, <laughs> something that you believe when you're young and like you are like I cannot get in that water until it has been thirty minutes. And you're at mom, has it been thirty minutes? No, it has been. I can you cannot get in there. And then once like you start to get older and like go, oh my parents are lying. You start to get into the water right like fifteen minutes after you eat, and you're like, huh, I'm okay. And then you Never get five minutes that. after you. No, I was eating in the pool actually <laughs> <just> while <laughs> swimming on my back. You had the ten dollar hot dog in the pool yeah. while you're swimming. No, I agree. My parents were always kind of like that. My dad. I remember. I literally remember my dad's little kid going, "That's dumb." <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's dumb. I can go in the water. No, I totally believed it. It might have just been a way for you know. They needed a break. Not. I was going to say. They don't have to keep an eye on you in the pool, so you know you just have to sit there quietly for thirty minutes. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet it's before iPads were invented. Yeah, remember lifeguard swim? You just had to watch that guy who works there swim while you were all sitting on the outside. Yeah, what was th- that about? <laughs> I don't know. Sounds like something I'd make up. I feel I like I, I was going to say I probably was, but the guy's like, "Oh, I need a break to get cool off." Or I'm like, "Dude, you're under an umbrella and you're 15. You're you're fine." Don't you and why, to watch me swim? And why does everybody else have to get out? I don't know because he can't watch you and. The, the, you, have, you can't ensure your safety. It's the, you gotta watch a, this we guy both show have off. Fun. We gotta watch this guy show off doing laps. There was Adult Swim too, right? Uh huh. Big fan. Yeah, yeah. That is a, a, a Cartoon Network. Uh, I'm a fan swim. of real Adult Swim. Yeah, Just I'm, came back from the cruise. They have separate pools for children and adults. The children's pool had diarrhea. In disgu- it. <laughs> well, of course it did. It's a children. It's disgusting. The adult pool. Our neighborhood, our neighborhood pool. That's why we hit, we have our own pool now. Because like our neighborhood pool, I mean, it's it's every other day. It's like, oh, pool shut down because there's tons of diarrhea. And again, I was like, oh my gosh, I think we'll just get a pool solution. <laughs> buy your own pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't be Cole's solution. I was, I, I figured as much. Cole's solution: don't go to the pool. Cole's solution as well. We're just gonna have to deal with the diarrhea, guys. <laughs> <laughs> everyone wash just off. Keep your eyes and mouth every, closed. Everyone wash off quickly. Dad's gotta save some money. <laughs> Oh, jeez, that's great. I'm learning so much. Um, so how about this one? A delayed allergy to red meat. Yeah. So it's a very unusual form of an IgE-mediated food allergy. It's caused by sensitization to the allergen galactose alpha-1,3-galactose, which is present in tissues um, for most animals, um, with the exception of old-world primates. So humans, one of the reasons why we uh, it's not good to be ingesting um, primate uh, meat. 
especially obviously not um you know humans that's called cannibalism but then also like uh we don't eat things like gorillas and chimpanzees at least we're not supposed to i think even in like create like different various parts of the world it's like outlawed i don't um, know anything about monkeypox taboo but that that sounds like how you get i know that i'm sure that's not how you get it but that just sounds it's like not, how but you it does it pox. does definitely we need to keep that in our back pocket because that does seem like a potential origin it does, doesn't it? i'll write it down thank you thank Show you AJ. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> told this information we get canceled off spotify um so this uh this form of a meat allergy it's distinguished by a delayed onset uh with symptoms appearing three to six hours after ingestion um and sometimes can just occur uh, in the middle of night if if meat was eaten for dinner for example um symptoms are you know pretty typical of an ige mediated reaction so it can even cause angioedema anaphylaxis um you know the the gastrointestinal symptoms hypotension all that good stuff um, and then the allergy is, is due to the sensitization to um, alpha galactose is, is described as an increasing number uh, or has been dis- in, uh, described in an increasing number of countries. So not just the United States, but Australia, Spain, Germany, Japan, um, Sweden, and, uh, and patients may become sensitized to um, that alpha galactose through tick bites or exposure to the drug cetuximab. Um, but tick bites is the one I find interesting because I actually know someone that this happened to. No way. And they can no longer eat. They had to literally change to a vegetarian diet. What? Yep. And it didn't have got anything. Bit by, got bit by a tick, got the sensitivity, and now cannot tolerate That meat. sounds like something like one of my friends would tell me, and I'd be like, that's not real. I, so the only reason I was like, I'm pretty sure, because I saw I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he had lost a ton of weight and like looked really skinny. I was like, well, how? he goes, I have to eat only vegetables now because apparently I got bit by a tick, and um, I go into anaphylaxis if I eat red meat. I said, oh. That's crazy. Yeah. So not related to, um, what's the? Lime. Lime. It's not related no. to lime. You should have corrected him. It's actually non-primate mammals. You can eat red meat. You can mammals. eat primates if you want. <laughs> No, yeah, I don't think he wants those either. But yeah, no, that's uh, I, I, I it's rare, but I've definitely seen so someone have it now. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of different types of uh, allergies that are out there. There really are more than you would expect, more than just like the regular allergies to certain foods. Um, so as far as um, uh, avoidance of these, uh, there's the obvious ways to just cut these things out of your diet. But if you have a severe anaphylactic reaction uh, allergy, or your child does. Uh, you have to be very careful about what is in certain things. So, um, interestingly, you, you've probably seen on many labels, um, if there's uh, a food or something that doesn't, like, the, the food is not itself what you're allergic to, but there might be a, an advisory label on that um, individual package that might have some kind of vague, uh, interesting language about um, whether... Um, that food may have come in contact with a particular allergen that isn't a part of the food, um, despite like uh, an accepted manufacturing process. So they'll put on certain terms like uh, may contain or processed in a facility with like nuts or something, um, manufactured on shared equipment with and various different things. Um, Interestingly, there's not anyone kind of overseeing those those labels that go on there. It's applied at the discretion of the manufacturer. Uh, So in general, from a healthcare perspective, we recommend to avoid any foods where the culprit allergen is in the advisory because it's really impossible to determine the actual risk um, and the uh, serious reactions from from cross-contact have been reported in those instances. So still avoid that. And the other obviously big issue would be restaurants. 
Um, yeah. Eating out would be very difficult if you have you know various food allergies. Um, so some uh, ways that uh, there's actually a list of um, potential allergen avoidance pitfalls and in uh, in, re- in restaurant meals. Um, so one of the uh, and that's good, it comes from uh, up to date. They have a whole list of things to kind of having your toolbox to avoid a potential issue, but they, they mentioned staying away from uh, shared food preparation. So blenders, pans, fryers, grills, all that kind of stuff, which I feel like is everything in a commercial kitchen. <laughs> is there anything more? Is there anything else? Um, and then cross contact of primary foods with allergens. You know, uh, they give an example of vanilla ice cream previously uh, contacted with uh, peanut, uh, peanut ice cream. I don't know. Peanut ice cream. <laughs> I feel like they literally says peanut it's ice cream. It's not peanut butter. Yeah. yeah it's, it's peanut ice cream. Peanut ice cream. Uh, I've never had that. Um, <laughs> not lived. I, there's no way you've had that, AJ. You liar. <laughs> How can you have... That's It's impossible because if you broke a peanut down to where it could yeah. be an ice cream... I, I, peanut, it's got to be a typo. It's cream it. It's, peanut, cream it's it. peanut butter unless it's vanilla ice cream. They're like, true. they'll know what we mean. Just put <laughs> peanut. <laughs> it's vanilla ice cream with literal peanuts inside of it. Um, and then they also mentioned, uh, you know, communication between obviously the which you know parents if it's a child you know would be aware of that but communicating that with the sh- and not just the maybe the the waiter but actually seeing if you can let the chef know um, themselves especially at maybe a more upscale restaurant or something um and then looking for any kind of like you know quote unquote secret ingredients or hidden ingredients um like in sauces or things like that um cross contact during serving the, you know, if there's a preparation tray or a buffet or something like that. Uh, and, and then, you know, any kind of like removal of ingredients that with residual allergies that could be like removing nuts from a salad. Um, obviously if the salad's made, it has nuts on it and you remove them, you could still get an issue. Um, so you want to make sure it didn't, has not come into contact with that at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a couple of things to, to be aware of. Yeah. So when I go to, um, Long John Silver's, <laughs> Let the chef know. Right. Yeah. As you go through the drive through because you're not about to order through Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah. No fryers, no fryers, no grills. No fryers, no grills. They come in contact. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's an unfortunate um, thing to have to be aware of. But, um, you'll, yeah, I mean, you probably would find restaurants where those things are taken into account, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, so, lactose, since this is a big one and this kind of um, – uh, is contained in a lot of uh, medication preparations. We'll hit on this for a minute as well. So lactose is a milk sugar derived from milk that's used um, in various things, actually. So many dry powder inhalers, um, some brands of oral and injectable glucocorticoids, and a few oral medications um, are co- that are commonly used in atopic patients. Um, Pharmaceutical-grade lactose is considered um, to contain very little to no milk protein, um, um, it's specifically on the order of a few parts per million, so very small amount. However, possible reactions in children with severe milk allergies have been reported. Um, small amounts of milk proteins uh, have been detected in various dry powder inhaler devices, lactulose solution, um, injectable uh, methylprednisolone, specifically solumedrol. So we prefer lactose-free preparations or meter dose inhalers in these instances. They use a, uh, they use liquid medications. Um, and propellants uh, if patients um, have asthma plus a milk allergy. Um, a couple other things as well, if possible, um, when you can, avoid other lactose-containing medications like the soluble tablet formulation of lansoprazole, chewable cetirizine, and 10-milligram formulations of Montelukast um, if in highly milk-allergic patients for the same reason. So 
I definitely was aware of this uh, lactose situation. Um, I, I don't think I was aware of all the specific ones that had it in there, but that question did come up. That question and then dyes, mm-hmm. those came up to me a lot when I was yeah. uh, when the, I was dispensing. The meter dose inhaler one, the yep. big one. But, um, yeah, I think that's, and that's, again, that's for a true, like, milk or dairy allergy, not just lactose intolerance. In that case, it wouldn't cause an issue. This is a true allergy form. Um, and then... Uh, Some other things to consider, like lipid emulsion, so propofol. um, It's formulated in a fat emulsion containing soybean oil and egg lectin, lectin, and um, it may contain small amounts of soy or egg protein. Um, The package insert uh, indicates that it is contraindicated in patients with a soy or egg allergy, Um, but there's been some published uh, data suggesting that the majority of such patients tolerate propofol uh, uneventfully, basically, and, and most reactions to propofol occur in patients without, you know, actual specific allergies. Um, so there's no special precautions um, that are recommended for the administration of propofol to most patients um, that have that soy or egg allergy. Um, but if you can use an alternative uh, anesthetic or um, small trial dose of propofol prior to a full dose would be ideal if they have a very severe soy or egg allergy. But it is in the package insert, so that question I'm sure somewhere, shape, or form is going to come up um, if you work in that, that setting that uses propofol. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of questions about allergies. Um, finishing this up, and then we'll um, touch on celiac disease yeah. uh, specifically before the end. But um, cosmetics and uh, other uh, crafts and things can contain some um, allergens, like, uh, uh, for instance, children's craft items such as modeling dough might contain wheat. Sometimes egg white is used in smooth finger paints, and chalk may contain casein. Uh, but uh, yeah, just be aware of these uh, things if your if your um, loved one has a severe allergy to be on the lookout for them. Yep. All right. All right. So that was food allergies. So now we're going to hit on one major uh, food intolerance um, that I don't know if popular is popular is the right word, but we definitely hear a lot more about it these days. I feel like it's not so much that the actual intolerance is popular yeah. as much as it was our buddy gluten. <laughs> yes, gluten. Is popular. Is That's it. the term that it becomes became popular. That's true, and as, as we'll see in the next few minutes, it turns out that probably a lot more people than we think actually have celiac disease, uh, but it, it might be asymptomatic, and so they're just they just have it, uh, and and there's actually some implications of that, uh, just not necessarily the traditional ones that we that we think of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest thing, uh, so what is celiac disease? Um, it's a gluten sensitive enteropathy, is what it's considered. Um, it's a common um, immune-mediated inflammatory disease of the small intestine caused by sensitivity to gluten um, and the related proteins, um, specifically in genetically predisposed individuals. So there's a strong genetic component um, to celiac disease. They think that they've narrowed down the, the genes that is most likely responsible. Um, more than 99% of individuals with celiac disease have the HLA, DR3, DQ2, and or DR4, DQ8 genes. Um, these are still um, uh, people, general population who does not have celiac disease can also have um, these genes. About 30 to 40% of the general population do. Um, but if you have celiac disease, almost 100% of patients have these genes. So um, there is a, is a strong genetic, genetic component, right? Yeah. And, and just since we haven't defined it, and there are still people that have not ever looked it up, but gluten, when we say gluten, you know, one of the big you know, things in the movies and stuff is like, you know, comedies will be like, what, you know, gluten, you don't even know what gluten is and be like, I can't eat it. Um, but actually, you know, gluten is just a protein that's, that's found in wheat, um, plant and, and some other grains. Um, but that's, you know, someone who has a, a true gluten intolerance or celiac disease, uh, the, that's that gluten is 
is, is what their bodies can't tolerate. So, um, you know, there was a big push about getting rid of gluten in general from your diet. But, if, you know, that was that was more so, uh, you know, it got really, uh, what's the word? Like, I guess popularized and yeah. things. But the celiac disease is where their bodies truly can't obviously deal with it. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, they really can't process it. So how common is it? I mean, yeah. um, that is kind of up in the air. Um they did find that uh, a lot of people are actually asymptomatic. So if you're if you realize that if you were found to have celiac disease but are asymptomatic, it's probably because it was an incidental finding um, while they were looking for something else. Um, uh, there are some studies out there that show that um, there's a prevalence worldwide of about one percent, maybe 0.7 to 1.4 percent. Um, but there's probably a lot of people who are asymptomatic. So as an example, one study in Italy. Um, showed that asymptomatic cases outnumbered symptomatic cases by seven to one. So there might be a lot of people out there who um, who have it and just don't know. And the reason it's uh, kind of important to know is because um, with the various different ones, there's classic celiac disease, which will be, you know, gluten sensitivity with the diarrhea, the signs or symptoms of malabsorption, steatorrhea, weight loss, other signs of nutrient or vitamin deficiency. In those instances, it's important to be uh, treated or managed because they're going to have, you know, literal physical um, issues that arise from that. But in like atypical celiac disease, they might have, they might lack the classic malabsorption and maybe have minor gastrointestinal issues. Um, but they have other things like anemias, dental issues, osteoporosis, arthritis. Um, and so sometimes it might not be clear what is causing this, but they have these things. And that's why if you uh, identify the celiac disease, it, it, it should be managed. Subclinical or asymptomatic disease, even latent disease, um, they also have identified that patients with celiac disease are at a higher risk for uh, lymphomas, um, uh, as well as certain um, GI cancers as well. And they think that the majority of these things can be uh, managed in some way. Um, that they don't have great data on it, but even the subclinical ones, um, some of these risks can be decreased by uh, adhering to a strict non-gluten diet. Mm -hmm. So how does this kind of like actually manifest? Maybe we've touched on it a little bit, but just go a little bit more in depth. Uh, the gastrointestinal manifestations, are, I think what we tend to think about, you know, in all areas of, of this, even regardless of kind of severity, but we think of like the classic signs, diarrhea um, with, you know, is often described as like bulkier, foul smelling um, stool and, and can even, uh, you know, have a high presence of fat, like Cole was saying, um, now these symptoms typically are going to be, um, paralleled with, you know, the consequence of malabsorption, which, you know, can manifest itself in various ways, but weight loss is a big one or the severe anemia, like Cole had mentioned, um, and, and all those uh, issues. But from a non GI standpoint, there's actually all these other extra intestinal manifestations that can occur. And, uh, you know, there's uh, mucocutaneous um, reactions that can happen, um, such as dermatitis, herpetiformis, um, or atrophic gl um, glossitis, um, which is like an oral lesion and soreness, uh, burning sensation of the tongue. Um, there's metabolic bone disorders that can arise um, from and are actually kind of common in patients with uh, celiac disease. And um, there's hematological, like we mentioned, the iron deficiency anemia, uh, but it also can cause uh, hyposplenism. Um, um, and then uh, neuropsychiatric issues, um, they can be you know, pretty severe as well, including um, the different neuropathies, the the vitamin B1, um, 3, 6, 12 um, deficiencies can lead to various neurological situations. So, yeah. 
definitely not something to be taken lightly if it's a you know a true celiac disease right and there are patients who are at higher risk um of course relatives of patient people with celiac disease but also strongly associated with type 1 diabetes a lot of patients are comorbid um autoimmune immune thyroiditis um, various other autoimmune diseases and down or turner syndromes as well i've known multiple people multiple people um, who also have celiac disease along with those um but, like we said, gluten avoidance, uh, adhering to a strict non-gluten diet is the best uh, way to manage it. Um, the most common reasons for lack of response or poor, or to that are poor compliance or maybe there's inadvertent gluten ingestion. Um, so they, they suggest a, a diary, a dietary um, a history being obtained, and uh, counseling on that as the, the most important um, thing. And, you know, like I mentioned, there are, there's questions. Do we have to maintain a strict gluten-free diet our whole lives, even if symptoms subside. Um, there's some thought that uh, maybe reintroducing gluten if they, um, uh, if they tolerate it okay is okay, um, but um, it, it seems like the, the risk um, may outweigh the benefit with kind of long-term complications and things, and so they still recommend adhering to a strict non-gluten diet. Yeah. I probably need to look into getting screened. Um, now I think about it, I'd had nine Krispy Kreme donuts the other day in my stomach, uh, did hurt pretty bad, mm. so yeah, maybe I can't imagine why. So maybe we should dig a little gluten. deeper into this apple issue. How many apples do you eat when you have problems? With apples? No more than five or six. Okay, well, well, that that's a preposterous amount of <laughs> apples. I just want to throw that out there. Um, who eats five to nine apples? Like that until you're satiated. Well, I think that people can <laughs> afford it. Obviously, I would I, never pay that. <laughs> I bet you get Honeycrisp too. I do. I can't afford that stuff. I do. Granny Smith, man. Let's also re- revisit the nine Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, well, you get a dozen. You okay, can't right. Leave a I'm dozen aware, but you overnight. Well, what you do is you just don't go into Krispy Kreme. That's number one. Free donuts. Free donuts. Yeah, it's class of twenty two. Twenty twenty two. They get free. Well, donuts you don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you in the class of twenty two? I know some people. That oh, do. wait. What do you have against Krispy Kreme? I, I mean, where do you get your donuts? I don't eat donuts. What are you talking? That's about? a lie. He's got donuts downstairs. I, I, put, I have no donuts downstairs. Down how, that's how dare. That, what an accusation. I brought him a dozen. He didn't. He's, ne- he's never brought he me. He did a donuts. nice thing, and he, he has it. He's never brought me donuts. Not even one. Go time. down there. There's going to be some chocolate glaze, chocolate yeah. sprinkles. There'll be, no, there'll yeah. be zero. Donuts Original glaze. The hot sign was on, Mike. The, we'll what? See. Yeah, it was. What do you? What do you? The hot sign's on. You go. You have to. The hot sign. Oh, for Krispy Kreme. That's how it's much I do. Every time I see the, I see the line for Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm like, you, you guys are savage. It makes what me want to jump doing? in there. What it's are they looking seven, for? I think it's so long. Well, like, do they know something I don't? I'm like, do you guys know? You guys don't have Uber Eats downloading your phones either. <laughs> do you know my friend Cole? Do they? Br- well, here's the thing. The hot sign's on. You get Uber Eats. It gets to you. It's not hot. If the hot sign's on, you got to get it yourself and uh, eat it right out of the box in the car. Here's right the thing, the though. Box. It gets to me, <laughs> and I never left my house. So I'm not only that, but I'm I'm working. I'm being productive. Krispy Kreme shows up. Maybe they're not as hot. Who cares? I don't really care about donuts anyway. Eat a couple of those. Now I'm supercharged, ready to go for more action. Put in the air fryer. Yeah, there you go. Right next to AJ's apples. They're gonna cause a re- allergic reaction. He's gonna eat them anyway. Nine of them at a time. And air fry his apples. We definitely we got off topic a lot today, didn't we? Yeah. So but we covered it all. We yeah. Did we talk about psychological reactions? Not so much. Food we, aversions, food phobias. I know Mike. Uh, <laughs> suffer from lacanophobia, fear of broccoli, vegetables. Did you? Did sure. the listeners know that? Yeah, well, that would do now. And and obviously, if that's a thing, that, that's fine with me. I actually know an individual who, um, after they got pregnant, you know, when, when you're pregnant, you have certain cravings, but you also like abhor certain foods. And so it was broccoli florets for her, just could not eat 
Right. And so her whole life, she has not been able to. So what did you say it was called? Lacanophobia. Lacanophobia. She has lacanophobia. But is it because she doesn't like the taste of them anymore? I think it's the actually, taste. I don't think she has. Lacanophobia is actually where you're literally yeah. scared of broccoli. See, that's where broccoli's never come that, after anybody. Well, you know, Veggie Tales. Uh huh. Okay, they had some scary broccoli. Uh, they did. I feel like yeah. the, the Christian, the Christian cartoon show. <laughs> There's an occasional scary broccoli. Okay, well, who knew? It's been a, a minute. sight of bell peppers or broccoli. Bell peppers Vegetables. and broccoli. I just feel like those people have not been, have not seen enough scary things in their lives. Because <laughs> I can show you some stuff that is way scarier than any broccoli. No, Bro- broccoli taxes. for us, huh? Taxes. Taxes. It scares me. Yeah. Well, just oh, oh, oh just wait, my young friend. Yeah. Wait till they start making money. Yeah. You're not that's that student uh, salary anymore. You make you make uh, adult money, and all of a sudden you go, "Oh no, I have that's to give cool. all my money away." That's cool. All right, guys. So, um, got it. Like I said, sorry for getting a little off topic today, but uh, since there wasn't as much of uh, the, the you know in depth pharmacotherapy stuff with this topic, I feel like we can you know joke around a little bit more. So, sorry for those of you who are getting annoyed. But um, no, thank you guys for, for checking this episode out. Remember, if you are an unlimited member at FreeC.com, um, make sure that you go uh, follow the link in the show notes and check out the post-activity test. And uh, the there's going to ask for a password whenever you first um, log on there. And you know, our password for this episode is GLUTEN in all caps. And, um, you know, check that out and you'll get your, your credit. Um, also, huge shout out to uh, Pearls. So, pearls.com slash core consult rx. Um, they are uh, our main sponsor for the podcast and help us uh, make the show quality better and, you know, help with uh, funding the, the stuff that goes into making this possible. So, you know, I'm very, very appreciative of them. Check out their uh, the free version of their app and um, it's definitely uh, – getting more and more stuff updated monthly. So they got a lot of cool stuff on the horizon well, with them as well. Um, if you have any questions for Cole, myself, or AJ, um, definitely reach out to us. Uh, emails will be in the show notes. We also will have, um, you know, any social media contact you know, platforms you can contact us on. And uh, check out Patreon as well, patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. If you want more traditional lecture style PowerPoint slides, uh, and we're also doing uh, practice questions and things uh, for pharmacotherapy board stuff questions on there as well now too um they correlate with the lectures so um definitely have some more stuff planned on for that this year as well so thank you guys so much for uh supporting us staying with us and um we'll keep uh trying to come up with content that's somewhat useful for you guys thanks everyone have a good night we'll see you next time